Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to the O Show podcast presented by FantasyJocks.com where you can get all your fantasy gear, trophies, rings, accessories today. Be a champ today. The O Show in the building. up everybody welcome back to the o show podcast presented by fantasyjocks.com i am your host jack o'hara episode 50 we made it to 50 episodes of the o show podcast we've had some good guests on as well episode 50 we have another good guest on today it's a philadelphia phillies play-by-play broadcaster at cbs sports philadelphia tom mccarthy get into a little bit about his career about whether or not Bryce Harper might sign with the Phillies. Who knows? He might sign by the end of the week. I don't believe it. I'll believe it when I see it. Talk about Machado's deal with San Diego. If the Phillies would ever be interested in bringing in Mike Trout in a few years. Will Mike Trout become the first ever $500 million player? Eric Burns even said it on a, a MLB Network the other day that uh, Mike Trout could be the first billion or close to billion dollar baseball player. So that'll be interesting. I do want to start off this episode before we get to Tom, though, and talk about something that happened on uh, WWE Monday Night Raw last night. I normally talk about this on the 50-50 booking show. I want to get this out of the way. For the first time in over four months last night, the big dog, Roman Reigns, returned to Monday Night Raw in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, It was October 22nd of last year where Reigns... uh, announced that he had been living with leukemia for 11 years and that it had unfortunately came back, resulting in him forfeiting the Universal Championship and walking away from wrestling to treat the disease. It was a scary moment, historic moment. Um, During, uh, his name's Joe Anoa. So Joe, during Joe's four months away, we watched uh, a plethora of things. So we watched Brock Lesnar reclaim the Universal Championship that Reigns beat him for at SummerSlam in Brooklyn. We saw the demise of the Shield. Dean Ambrose shockingly turned heel on Seth Rollins after winning the Raw Tag Team Championships against McIntyre and Ziggler. Same night where Reigns actually made the announcement, made it that much more emotional. Uh, We actually saw Roman Reigns make an appearance in Dwayne Johnson's new movie, Hobbs and Shaw, a spinoff of Fast and Furious. He uh, uh, played the Great One's brother in a new action film set for release. On uh, August 2nd of this year in 2019. So Raw has suffered in ratings and it's been the direct victim of all elite wrestling's current buzz, of course, with Rhodes and Jericho and all of them. Um, multiple superstars have requested their releases from WWE, including uh, Reigns' close friend Dean Ambrose. So we may never see The Shield again past uh, April. But, anyways, however, last night on Monday Night Raw, Roman Reigns announced that his leukemia is back in remission and that he will be returning. To Monday Night Raw. So it was rumored that WWE, other known as Vince McMahon, 
been keeping it uh, Reigns' announcement a secret from the current roster as well as the public, of course. Um, and it seemed that both the WWE Universe as well as the roster and the superstars received the news about Reigns at the same time. And I always assumed it was going to be good news. Like, given the hype of this announcement, it seemed as though it would be positive news. Uh, Reigns uh, made an appearance this morning on Good Morning in America in New York after Raw last night, which basically teased a potential in-ring return after four months away. So we're seeing with Roman Reigns returning to Monday Night Raw, announcing his return to wrestling. There's so many possibilities for the big dog with WrestleMania right around the corner. And given their history, of course, a Roman Reigns-Dean Ambrose feud wouldn't be the worst idea for the show of shows. I mean, Reigns obviously is going to have to be in a big match for WrestleMania. Who knows if he's ready or not? I mean, I I don't think that's a question. I think he's ready. Another idea I'd like to see is Roman Reigns uh, challenge for the WWE title against Daniel Bryan. That's another big match. John Cena would be available. There's so many possibilities. Um, But Reigns-Ambrose wouldn't be the worst idea, although the end result may be predictable with Ambrose set to leave the company in April. WWE can also opt to reunite the Shield one final time. Uh, Dean Ambrose uh, apparently has emerged as a babyface these past couple of weeks. We saw last night Reigns and Rollins come back out after Reigns made his announcement and save Ambrose, kind of. They left him in the ring, looked back at him. Who knows if they trust him? That's the storyline I guess they're going with. I guess we might see The Shield and Braun Strowman versus McIntyre, Lashley, uh, Elias, and um, Corbin at Fastlane next Sunday. Uh, Who knows? Um, Dean Ambrose has been supporting Seth Rollins in his match with Lesnar at WrestleMania by telling the architect to uh, slay the beast. Slay the beast. A Shield uh, reunion could also help Rollins defeat Lesnar at MetLife Stadium if they want to protect Lesnar again for the Universal title. Given, basically give the fans one last Shield moment before Dean Ambrose leaves for probably all elite wrestling. But who knows? Regardless of what's in store, uh, Reigns returning to TV for the first time in four months is a headline on its own. It's awesome. Congrats to uh, Joe. It's a good thing to hear that uh, the big dog is back in healthy. Um, so... Given that, I want to get into uh, episode 50 of this show, talk a little baseball with Phillies broadcaster Tom McCarthy. Remember, the O Show podcast is presented by FantasyJocks.com. Get all your fantasy baseball gear. It is baseball season. Football season is over, but if you want to go get a trophy, uh, I'm not going to stop you. So go get your baseball, football, soccer, you name it, trophies, rings, accessibles, banners, plaques, whatever the hell else they have. Go to FantasyJocks.com and be a champ today. See how this goes. I got a meeting in a few minutes, so just uh, we're good. Oh, okay. Um, so first question, I guess this is kind of on everybody's mind. Just given that he, I guess, announced that he's going to make his decision at the end of the week. Uh, Bryce Harper, I guess it's down to the Phillies, Dodgers, Giants. Does Bryce Harper sign with the Phillies? Uh, I think that the Phillies are are obviously giving him an offer that you know that is going to 
uh, would make anybody happy. Um, I, honestly, I don't know. Uh, I think it's, you know, it all depends on what the other teams come in with. And I, I do know that, you know, whatever offer the Phillies make, just like Machado, it's going to be a fair one. And, you know, the hope is, is that uh, the resolution will come sometime in the next couple of days. And, you know, wherever he goes, he'll get into camp and get himself ready for the season. And do you, do you like the Machado signing? I mean, from both perspectives, like from both his standpoint, the Padres' standpoint, do you like the whole 10-year, $300 million concept? Well, I think he's 26 years old. Um, I, I think that he's a, a wonderfully gifted player uh, who's put up numbers that you know show that he's one of the top five players in all of Major League Baseball and has been for the last several years. So um, I, I think it's it's unrealistic to think that these guys, that a lot of the players, and I think I'd be the same way, you know, that that they won't go to where the money is the best for them and the foundation and the you know. Um, and the assurances are the best for them financially. Uh, so I think for him, if, you know, it's a beautiful place to play. It's an awesome stadium, and I think he felt most comfortable with what the the dollar figure was. So, um, you know, I do I think that he's worth it? I mean, I think that from a perspective standpoint, um, that was his goal was to. I mean, it seemed anyway, just from what I've read, for him to be a three to be a three hundred million dollars. So, you know, uh, I think it's a good spot for him as long as he's comfortable with it. And definitely good for him after all that waiting. Got the contract that he wanted, living now in probably what's probably the nicest spot it's in the country. It's an awesome place to play. It's an awesome stadium. It's a beautiful place. You know, it's a, it's a beautiful facility. It's a, you know, the weather's awesome. I mean, there's so much to do out there, too. Oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. And, and he got the, the opt-out, which I think is probably important for him to, 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 to sort of look after five years. All right can I make even more money or can I, you know, if I made enough money where now I am going to go to a team that can definitively be a winner every year if the, if the Padres aren't. So I think he's got some, you know, I think he's got some terminology in that contract that sort of helps him. And like, given that it's gone down this past, so Machado signs last week, Harper hopefully signs this week. We're two weeks into spring training already. Do you believe that uh, free agency is going to continue down this path of like extremely late signings? I mean, there's still guys like, Keuchel and Kimbrel still still out there, or do you see um, the MLB doing something about this as it's like going down this path? Boy, that's a good question. You mean putting a deadline on one guy should right, you know, yeah. have to, to sign? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I mean, maybe they do. I, I I just think that you know the the way things have gone the last couple of years. Um, has it affected those players? I don't know. I mean, Jake Arrieta started the year really well for the Phillies last year, even though he signed, you know, when we were into spring training. So um, could they do it? Sure, they could do it. I, I don't know if they will. I don't know if the agents will allow it. I think the agents are using this, you know, to sort of make sure that their clients do get the best amount of money, which is what they're hired for. Uh, but, yeah, they could do something like that down the road. I, I think it would have to, you know, be something that the Players Association would agree with. And now this is just like an idea being thrown out there. What would you think of like MLB doing something along the lines? Because like, winter, the winter meetings was always like the big uh, week where all the big uh, uh, guys got signed, all the big contracts went down. Could you see something down the road of like something like um, there's like the deadline at the end of the winter meetings, everybody's got to sign. So like regardless of like the type of a deal that they want. Yeah, do you no, think I, like I something? Yeah, I think that's too early, probably. I mean, I do think that there's some obviously some spice when that happens when guys sign during the winter meetings, but I still think that's too early the way the negotiations have gone. Um, you know, it, it to me it would probably have to be after the first of the year if they were to do anything like that. You know, maybe close to you know closer to the fifteenth of February. 
right. know, before camps really begin. But I think the, the winter meetings might be a little too early for that. And so, given, like I said, Keuchel's still out there, Kimbrell's still out there. Kimbrell was on the Phillies' radar at some point during this offseason. Could you see him as a potential uh, fit in Philly? Well, I, I think now, the way things are, um, the bullpen is in pretty good shape from a Philly standpoint. And depending on what his dollar figure is, I don't know where he fits pr- appropriately. Um, the fact that David Robertson is now here, I think that helps the Phillies and helps the back end of their bullpen. They're really high on a lot of the younger players, and I am too, uh, that could possibly slide into those effective spots in the bullpen. Um, you know, Tommy Hunter is, is, is down with an injury right now, but they still have depth that you know, could, could take, the, you know, take that spot uh, until Tommy is back healthy again. So I don't know. I mean, do I think that they need a closer of, of Craig to build? I mean, you never want to say no to somebody like that, but I think financially um, – you know, it all depends on what he's asking for and, and what he's seeking. Uh, I, I haven't I haven't officially heard any other anything from his camp about what he, he's looking for, but what I've read is that five or six years, and that that may be a little deep for for a closer in this day and age. But I, I think the Phillies are in pretty good shape from a from a bullpen standpoint. And just for Kimbrel's sake, I think he went out and said that he'd he'd be willing to hold out the entire year if he didn't get the contract for the money that he wanted. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I find that hard to believe. I, I mean, that's just you know, for, for to me at his age to give up a year um, that would be really hard to do. But I mean, you know, maybe he does. But I, I think it's it would probably be more appropriate for him to sign a one year deal or a two year deal than to sit out a whole year. Yeah, I, I really don't understand. I mean, he's only hurting himself, I feel like, sitting out an entire year. Given, I mean, again, a one-year deal, he's going to have to bank on himself to have another really good year. Yeah. I know the yeah. postseason was kind of rough with him in Boston, somehow managed to get through that. But, he's still really good, though. Yeah. He's still really good. But, yeah, I, I think, again, it, it, it's it's his life and it's his career. Uh, he'll handle it the way he feels suited, the way he feels appropriate. Uh, but I would think it's hard to sit out, you know, at this point in his career. Uh, okay, so here's the big question. So obviously Bryce Harper on the Phillies' radar. They've offered him at least $300 million, if not more. It, it, we'll see what uh, Bryce does. But in a few years down the road, South Jersey native, of course, Mike Trout becomes a free agent. A, do you think the Phillies could make a run for Trout if he's not extended by the Angels at that point? And B, does Mike Trout receive over $500 million? Oh, boy, that's a, <laughs> that's a heck of a question. Uh, I don't think he gets over $500 million. Um, I could be wrong because the landscape could totally change by the time right. he's a free agent. You know, he's a wonderful player. He's the best player in the game right now. Uh, you know, the Phillies, John Middleton, the Phillies, one of the, the Phillies' majority owner, uh, has said that, you know, the, that, that the, the dollars are there for the Phillies to make moves. So I think without knowing or without talking to anybody, I would think that if he's available – uh, that every team will be making an offer for him, including the Phillies. Uh, but I don't think it'll be $500 million. But again, the landscape could change by then. I mean, who would have thought that somebody would be making $300 million at this point? For sure, for sure. I mean, Machado, I didn't think Machado was going to get his money. I honestly didn't. And it looks like Harper's uh, going to get his money. Yeah, I did. I, I thought he would get it. I just, I, it just felt like there were teams out there that were interested in whether it be the White Sox, the Padres, or even the Phillies. I'm not saying the Phillies would have given him $300 million, but I thought there would be teams out there that would do it. The 10 years is the thing that, that's right. interesting to me. It's just a, but again, he's got the opt out. So for both teams, maybe he does wind up opting out, opting out after five years. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, again, if he, if, 
he basically becomes like the rest of them, the guys like A-Rod and Pujols, dare I even say Jacoby Ellsbury, just doesn't pan out for him in five years. He basically has that option to just stick it out and get his money, so... Yeah, Good. And, and, and again, we'll only be twenty. We'll only be thirty-one years old. So, <laughs> I mean, uh, so that the baseball portion of that, um, you know, let me re-say that. Um, so, I just want to get into a little bit about your career first. So, growing up in broadcasting, was it always the dream to be a broadcaster growing up? Well, it was actually the dream to play baseball. Yeah. Uh, growing up, I went to college to play baseball. Uh, I never really thought I could could do this. Uh, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, I knew I wanted to be in sports in some capacity. And when I stopped playing basketball and baseball in college, um, I wanted to stay within the sports world. And I started writing, actually. And I thought, well, that's kind of cool, being a sports writer. Uh, And I loved it. I thought it was one of the greatest things. But then I I started broadcasting some of my college's games uh, as the color commentator for football. And I really enjoyed it. I, I enjoyed the the adrenaline. I enjoyed it the I enjoyed the natural high that I was able to get from broadcasting games. Uh, and I thought, well, maybe I'll do this a little bit too. So I just started doing like high school games and some college games around the the Trenton area. And one thing kind of led to another. And I was really fortunate to have some really good bosses uh, at the newspaper that I worked at because they let me do both at the same time. And I was really fortunate to have a lot of people. Um, who wanted to have games broadcast when I was starting out. So that's where I really got the ditch. But I did not know. I always wanted to be a broadcaster, I think, in the back of my mind if I wasn't going to play. But when I was growing up, I didn't know anybody that had done this. So it was hard for me to say I could do it. I knew an accountant. I knew my dad worked for the phone company. I knew lawyers. I knew guys that owned their own business. But I never knew a broadcaster. So I didn't know I could do it. And I think it wasn't really until I was – maybe my first year out of college that I thought, okay, I can probably do this for a living along with sports writing. So let's give it a whirl. Yeah. And did you act like you obviously said you didn't really have anybody around you who was a broadcaster, but going up through the ranks, did you have any uh, mentors? Um, Well, I was broadcasting. Yes. I mean, uh, obviously uh, getting a chance to be in the big leagues at an early age, because I was 32 when I first started being able to lean on the guys that were at the Phillies, whether it be Andy Musser, Chris Wheeler, or HK, um, those were huge for me because they would help me with a variety of things. Scott Graham would help me with things when it came to the pre- and post-game show. Uh, But I've also been able to befriend a lot of guys in the business, um, from Ernie Harwell, who was unbelievable uh, to me as a spotter and as a stat guy when I was in my mid-20s. And he would show me certain things that I could do to be better as a broadcaster and you know, he's he was one of the most incredible people that I that I ever met in this game. Um, the guy that really helped me get started was a guy by the name of Rich Jablonski, who was a minor league broadcaster in Charleston, South Carolina, who actually gave me a chance to go on the air for the first time. And I used those tapes when I was twenty five years old to get my first professional job with the Trenton Thunder. So, you know, that those guys were the ones that really helped me. And then, you know, Gary Cohen for the Mets was always a huge help for me. Um, and Vince Scully was always a huge help for me when I was just getting started. So, um, you know, those are the guys, kind of the guys that I leaned on. I asked a lot of questions because I, yeah. you know, about how to, how to structure a, a broadcast, how to structure an inning. You know, I asked about home run calls because I'm not a huge believer that you should have a home run call specifically because I think every home run is different. Uh, you know, different things like that. And, like, going into it, obviously everybody kind of wants, wants to have their, uh, like, home run call. Did you ever, like, 
uh, have any like ideas before what you eventually went with? Well, no, I mean, not really. I mean, when I was in the minor leagues, you know, the, the commissioner of the Eastern League was John Lavenda, and I used to say goodbye, John Lavenda, when the ball went over <laughs> the wall. Um, and I did that for a few, like, for, for one season, and I, I was like, and, and I, I only did it, I did it the first time, just as a joke more than anything else, just to kind of have some fun. And then I did it a second time, and then all of a sudden somebody wrote a story about it in Baseball America. Uh, so I stayed with it for the entire year, and John got a huge kick out of it that I would use that as my home run call. Uh, but I, I I grew up using uh, using out of here because most people did that, uh, but nobody did it as well as Harry did it because his voice is so yeah. incredible. Uh, when I sort of transitioned to the big leagues, I I didn't want to I, I couldn't use out of here because that was Harry's. Um, so I just I, I started saying gone, and and you know it, to me. I really truly believe that that no home run is the same. You know, some are line drives, some are really high fly balls. If I know it's gone off the bat, I know, you know, I'll, my voice will be different. But I do think that every home run has a different personality, so I try to keep it with that. Uh, that's how I've always approached it. And you mentioned before uh, you uh, broadcasted during college and even in high school. Talk to me a little bit about your experience uh, broadcasting both Princeton football, basketball, and Rutgers football. Well, those are all great. I mean, those were that, that was sort of the natural progression for me. Is uh, I went from doing the College of New Jersey football, which is where I went, to then eventually doing Princeton football. I loved doing Princeton football and basketball. So I did Princeton football for five years, and I did Princeton basketball for nine years. And that, to me, was a, a huge step forward from doing high school games and from doing Division three games. Um, but I got to see some really good teams football-wise and some great teams basketball-wise. When I left to go from Princeton to Rutgers, I didn't know if it was the right move because you know Princeton had so many good teams. But as it turned out, it was a, a, one of the greatest experiences I had doing Rutgers football because I met you know two of my now best friends, and that was Tim Pernetti, who eventually became the AD at Rutgers, and Chris Carlin, who was our sideline reporter and eventually took over for me when I left. Um, but meeting those two opened so many doors for me personally, but also professionally. Uh, that led to me going to CBS because Tim was a vice president at CBS. Um, so those days, those years, even though they were tough years, I mean, we would go to, to, to facilities like West Virginia and we would lose by six by sixty points. Uh, they weren't the easiest games to do, but it was a great experience. And obviously, it, it's very different. So major league opposed to like college. I know broadcasting in college, you have to go through like the SIDs. You got like bus rides, even in high school. Yep. What well, like what would you say like is the biggest difference between both like college compared to the pros? Because obviously, there's a lot of differences. Yeah, there, there are a lot of differences. I mean, I, I do think that the the personalities are very different because you're dealing with kids uh, on on one level in college for the most part and adults when it comes to the professional ranks. And I, I don't know if that, that makes any sense or not, but yeah, yeah. You know, the, the kids are still learning how to deal with the media and deal with the broadcasters and are so open-minded to things and, and, and really good to be around from that standpoint because it's the first time they're seeing a lot of it and experience a lot of it. Major League-wise, these guys have all experienced a million things already, um, so there's a little different way you go about it. Um, but that's the biggest thing. I mean, I enjoy both. I mean, I love doing baseball games, obviously, and I love doing NFL games. Uh, but I really enjoy going to college campuses. I was at Michigan, Michigan State this past weekend, and I thought that was an incredible atmosphere to, to get a chance to broadcast the game. I never, ever take any of that stuff for granted. It's, it's pretty cool. Now, 
growing up, just getting into the business, like you said that you wanted to be a player before you ever got into broadcasting. Um, yeah, go ahead. No, that's that's exactly. Oh, what I okay. I wasn't good enough. I wasn't good enough, but I did. I did. I did want to do that. And so, getting into broadcasting first, did you have any like glimpses where like you just like felt like you said something wrong or somebody approached you, like just saying like maybe you should try something differently that time? Were there any like stories like where like maybe sometime like maybe at some point you said something wrong and like a parent approached you, especially in like high school or college? Well, yeah. I mean, I've always had people. You know, there's always instant criticism. I mean, now it's I mean it's instantaneous when it comes oh, yeah. to. Uh, Twitter and, and Facebook and Instagram and Snapchat and, and, and the internet as a whole. Uh, I, I've never really had anybody tell me, you know, uh, pronunciations are always a big thing that, you know, parents will say, you know, the name's not pronounced that way, it's pronounced this way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's, that's always been, you know, that's always been one of the primary things. Um, I do think grammar is a big thing. You know, we all speak for a living, but we all make mistakes for a living grammatically. Those are some of the, the those are some of the I, I had one one person tell me that I was using the word often incorrectly, that it was often. <laughs> and I was trying to explain to them that it's either way, it's often or often. And this person was not buying it. Like he was not buying that there's two ways to say it. Um, and I found myself having this conversation with him thinking, well, what's the big deal? <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's it's often or often. It depends on who you are. So now, I actually, it's kind of, a, it's kind of something that I do with, uh, from time to time. I'll say it often, or I'll say it often, just to kind of say it uh, both ways, moving, you know, from time to time. But that's really the biggest thing. I mean, uh, players will will ask you about something that may be said on a telecast or a radio broadcast, and you just explain to them what they what what you said, um, and that's pretty much been it, you know. So, I think grammar is one of the big things, and pronunciations are the big things. And obviously, you have all these years under your belt. Your son Pat now broadcasting. Has he had any of uh, experience like this in these instances? No, I don't think so. I mean, he's just you know he's sort of he's still learning uh, and still you know going through the same things I went through at his age. Although he's far and away better than I was at any point when I was twenty three years old. Um, in fact, he's better than I was when I was twenty six years old. So you know he's he's kind of just learning as he goes through. I mean, I'm sure he'll have some things that he. You know, he'll have the same type of things uh, that he has to deal with, but nothing, you know, nothing that, nothing that I, I can think of or that stands out. Yeah, and definitely over time, gonna evolve as a broadcaster either way. And so was that always his goal, or was he more of the same like you was a player first and got into it? Yeah, I think. Well, he was a college player. Um, he was actually a recruited basketball player in high school, but played baseball in college uh, as a pitcher. I don't know if he really knew he wanted to do this until he was maybe a sophomore in college. Uh, he and my other son, who's a senior in college, who plays baseball too. Um, you know, both of them have have done both of them have done it in college. It wasn't really until Pat was maybe a sophomore or junior that he thought I, I could probably do this for a living because he can. I mean, he's 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 pretty good at it. You know, he's getting better with each passing game that he has. So. Um, I, I don't think he definitively knew he wanted to do this, but I think it's something that he grew into. And so you talked about your experiences growing up. So once you got to the pros, Phillies, uh, radio, play-by-play, and then you went over to the Trenton Thunder, who were the Red Sox AA affiliate at the time. Tell me a little bit about those experiences. Yeah, so I started out doing the Thunder back in 1994. I was there until 2000 season. Um, you know, working for minor league baseball, I think, was one of the best things I ever did because I was also an executive in the front office. 
So I was the PR director for the first four years, and then I was the assistant general manager for the time after that, for the years after that. Um, you know, I, there was a point in 2000 where I had to decide that I wanted to just be a broadcaster. So I had to give up being the assistant GM and really concentrate on my broadcasting. And then several months later is when the Phillies asked me to fill in in September of 2000 um, for Scott Graham, who was who has stepped away to do some uh, football on Fox. So I was able to fill in doing the pre and post game in 2000. And eventually that that sort of migrated into having a full time job with the Phillies in 2001. So uh, being there, I mean, doing doing the Thunder certainly got me to being with the with the Phillies, but also doing a lot of talk shows. Yeah, uh, radio talk shows really helped me too because that I think helps your pace, it helps your interview skills, it helps you sort of understand that the the business of radio uh, from a structure standpoint. And then, like after that, you went over to the Mets for two years. You mentioned Yerry Cohen earlier. How was that experience before jumping back great. over to Philly? Yeah, it was great. You know, so the biggest thing about um, when I was at the Phillies the first time, I would do the pre and post game show my first couple of years, and then eventually started doing two innings of play by play after that, um, and still do the pre and post game show. But the Mets offered me a chance to do the whole game, plus the pre and post game show, but do the whole game, and that to me was the next step was getting more reps from a major league standpoint, you know, with a major league team. Uh, and I don't think I had any intention of coming back to the Phillies because I, you know, I was in New York, I was doing the Mets games. I really enjoyed it. But when the Phillies asked me to come back to do television, that was kind of a different thing because I had really not done baseball on TV. Uh, but it was one of those things that it was hard to turn down. I still had a lot of friends here. I loved the organization. So it was kind of an easy decision to, to come back to Philadelphia after two years in New York. And so, given you've been doing this for a long time, me getting into broadcasting, aspiring to be a broadcaster, like, what's your exact like game prep going into a game? Baseball versus football, too. Well, football is a totally different animal. Football, I start on Monday, and, and you know, I'm, I'm basically not done with my preparation until the game starts on Sunday. You know, there's a lot of meetings, there's a lot of information to remember, there's a lot of statistics to remember as well. Uh, it's awesome. I, I mean, I think it's it's one of the greatest animals out there is to broadcast football games on, on TV and even radio. But TV, there's even more preparation that goes into it. Um, so there's a lot of, lot of note-taking. There's a lot of listening. There's a lot of reading. Uh, you know, all of that. From a baseball standpoint, because you're at it every day, yeah. the one game kind of filters into the other. But I do a lot of reading. I get up in the morning after I get my daughter to school. Um, I do a lot of reading for a couple hours on not only the Phillies, but also about what's going on around Major League Baseball. And then I eventually get to the ballpark around 2 o'clock, and if I have any information for the players or for the coaches, that's when I get a chance to chat with them. So, uh, you know, baseball is sort of a rhythm thing. You go from one day into the next. Football, because it's a different team, different two teams every week for me, that's, that sort of changes the preparation every single every single week. And what is it like bouncing from MLB to NFL? Obviously, with the Phillies, it's kind of like your main, mainstay. You have a more better opportunity to chat with some of the guys, build relationships, as opposed to NFL. Like you said, you're bouncing around, broadcasting different teams all the time. Yeah, that's. I mean, I think that's kind of neat. I mean, I, I, I like doing the different teams just because, you know, it's fresh every single week uh, from an NFL standpoint. Uh, and I, I like the chance to get to meet a lot of these different guys when I go from place to place. You know, baseball... Uh, I mean, you, there's such familiarity because you're with them every day. You travel with them. It's a little easier getting to know the players and talking to the players and getting information from the players 
um, football, everything's kind of set up for you. So that's easy because you get a chance to meet with them in separate, you know, in separate meetings. Uh, but I enjoy, I enjoy both of them for their differences. You know, from a baseball standpoint, I love the rhythm of being with a team and being with an organization on an everyday basis. With football, I love the, the spontaneity of having a different team each week and getting a chance to see different players each week. Now, there are times where I'll do a, the same team a bunch, uh, whether it be the Jacksonville Jaguars or the, you know, the Houston Texans. Um, and that's kind of neat when you get familiar with some of the players. It makes the conversation a little easier. And um, I guess what I want to ask is what, like, hold on, let me gather my thought. Um, so if you, um, geez, I just totally forgot what I was going to ask. I didn't write it down. That but happens. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that, 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 that's the life of a podcaster for you. Um, so I'll try and think of that one. Next question I had for you, though, um, with all your experience and obviously a lot of great moments, uh, oh, here's the question I wanted to ask. Favorite fi- favorite season as uh, the Phillies broadcaster? Well, 2008, 2009 are the two. I mean, obviously because of the World Series trips, those are those were to me incredible. Uh, just because, you know, the, you want to get to the postseason, you want to win. And the Phillies did that. I mean, 08 was incredible. I mean, it was just an incredible, incredible experience to, to see a World Series championship come to Philadelphia, the parade, everything. So I would say those two seasons, but if you had to really push me for one, I'd say 2008 was the best one. And during the postseason, what was your role? Obviously, like maybe pre- and post-game show, were you on yeah, any sort of yeah, call for those? Post-game, yeah, pre- and post-game show in 08, and uh, a lot of interviews with TV stations and stuff like that representing the Phillies. And then 09, uh, I, was able, I, I would do a couple of innings of play-by-play on the radio uh, during the postseason. And so... 20-plus years of experience, what is your favorite call as a broadcaster? Well, I've got two of them. I mean, it depends on the sport, but my, my one for basketball was Princeton defeating UCLA after UCLA had won the national championship back in Pete Carrill's final season as the head coach of the Princeton Tigers. That, to me, was an incredible experience. Baseball-wise, it's got to be Halliday, Roy Halliday's perfect game right. just because there haven't been many of them that have been, that have been done. Uh, there haven't been many that have been on TV. So to be able to, to do a, to have a perfect game uh, under my belt, but it, just to experience that perfection with Roy Halladay was just an incredible, incredible moment for me. And over the course of time, who's been like your favorite uh, player to interact with? Uh, that's a good question. I mean, I, I always I always love the 08 guys. I mean, Ryan Howard, Shane Victorino, uh, Jimmy Rollins, you know, all those guys, Jim Tomey before that. Uh, those have been really my favorite guys to really interact with. Because, I mean, we were with them for so long, we kind of grew up with them in the organization. So, you know, getting a chance to see them evolve into world champions, that to me was one of the greatest things. And so last question before I let you go, because eventually it's going to stop raining in Florida and you guys will <laughs> be uh, ready to go. So I did this research because this is awesome to me. June 27, 2014, Phillies Braves, you guys are doing the call from center field. Freddie Freeman, it's yeah. a three-run home run. You catch it on fire. It was literally like right in your lap. You end up throwing it back. What was that whole story and experience it like? It was awesome. It was awesome. I mean, you know, so the glove, it was my first baseman's glove that I had my whole life uh, since eighth grade. And Matt was using it. Matt Stairs was using it for our open. So that's the only reason it was out there. Our producer, Jeff Hallett, asked us to bring a glove out there. So I had the glove sitting on the table. And we said, wouldn't it be great if a ball came out here? But I had been out there watching BP for several games leading up to that just to see if I can, you know, see the trajectory of the pitches, 
the ball off the bat, that kind of thing. And nothing had been hit out there. And then all of a sudden, this ball in the first inning comes out. I mean, it was just, you want to talk about an adrenaline rush. It was incredible. I mean, it was awesome to do it. Um, you know, I, I apologized to Kyle Kendrick the next day because we were cheering. Yeah, and yeah. And it was the three run over. And he, he just started laughing. He thought it was funny. I mean, obviously, he didn't want to give up the home run. But he goes, hey, I shouldn't have given up the pitch. He goes, but that was a, that was a heck of a catch. <laughs> and, and was it hard to not get excited? Like, was it hard to just keep rolling with the broadcast and your call uh, while that, the yeah, balls? You know what? It's funny. It, it was, I think it, I was, I was honestly shaking with adrenaline after I made the catch. Yeah. <laughs> it was so funny. Um. Yeah, it was. It wasn't hard. It, it just made the night, you know, that much more that that much cooler because it was the first time we ever did anything like that. Uh, we've done it every year since in different spots, and, and we just love being out in the ballpark and enjoying the energy of the crowd. And so, right now, spring training is your schedule a lot lighter than what it's going to be once you guys get back to Philadelphia. Oh, yeah, yeah. My, my schedule is a lot lighter. I mean, Phillies wise, we have all the home games on TV. Uh, I'm here at the complex because I, I like to get work done on off days. Uh, but even it's a lot of lighter, lot lighter with basketball too. I don't have as many basketball right. games anymore. Uh, just that's my choice is to just kind of back off a little bit. Uh, so yeah, it's 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 kind of neat. I mean, I don't always like to be away from my family for this long a period of time, but it's all part of it. Uh, but yeah, so you know, it's 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 definitely a lot lighter than the regular season. And just quickly back to the home run ball before I let you go. Was it hard to just throw it back? Because obviously everybody wants yeah, to throw it, was, it back. I did, and I did get it back. I did get oh, it. Oh, did you? Yeah. Did get it. Yeah. So we. Uh, it was. I think it was all part of the shtick of doing it was catching it, and throwing it back. So it was okay. I did get it back though. I still have it. It's still. It's actually sitting in the glove uh, on my desk at home, uh, back in New Jersey. Oh, uh, that that's insane. I mean, you, you can't write that stuff. I feel like that might not ever happen again. No, um, <laughs> cool. Well, I want to thank you for coming on, Tom. I know you're busy. I'll let you get back no to work. Uh, yeah, just thanks again for coming on. Yeah, no problem. Good luck with everything. All right, thank you. Have a good one, man. So that was Philly's broadcaster at CBS Sports Philadelphia, Tom McCarthy. Back-to-back MLB broadcasters. We had Paul Severino, 49, McCarthy, 50. We had Victor Rojas on episode 45. And guess what? The train keeps moving along. We have uh, Slade Heathcott, former Yankee outfielder, coming on the show shortly. Uh, We also have former uh, WCW champion and New Japan wrestling champion, for that matter, Scott Norton. Coming on the show shortly, uh, Spring tra- with spring training, there's going to be a lot of baseball guests. We have a lot of guests coming on, trying to get uh, Pudge Rodriguez, Hall of Famer, on the show shortly. Um, it, it, it's it's going to be a fun next month here in spring training. Just kicked off spring training with the Angels yesterday. It's going to be fun. It's going to be great. You know, it's going to be great. I'm very intrigued to see where Bryce Harper ends up. Uh, if I were to guess, it would not be the Phillies. Uh, I, I feel like it's pretty clear to me now that Bryce Harper does not want to be in Philadelphia. They've offered him over $300 million, offered him way more than Machado got from the Padres. That, that's what I'm hearing. Uh, I, I'm not going to be shocked if Bryce Harper takes less money to sign with the L.A. Dodgers, to be honest. I know. I know. I don't want to see him with the Dodgers either. I, the Dodgers, base, I mean, I'm a Yankee fan, so I can't really attest to buying players, but the Dodgers have A.J. Pollock, they have 
Chris Taylor. They've got Jock Peterson. They shed off some salary by uh, shipping Puig and Kemp out of town. They got Cody Bellinger. They don't need two outfields. I feel like they they have a lineup against right-handers and a lineup against left-handers. You only need one lineup. Just make some adjustments, Dave Roberts. You'll be fine. So Bryce Harper signing with the Dodgers, I, 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 I think that's what's going to happen. I truly do. I guess he'll make his decision at the end of the week. Um, I mean, at this point, the Phillies have basically given Bryce Harper the keys to Philadelphia, and he's, he, I, he doesn't want to go. So I don't know. It'll be interesting. Craig Kimbrell wanting to sit out the entire year until he gets his money. Have fun sitting on the couch for a year because I don't think you're going to get your money. He wants, what, five, six years with $100 million? Nobody's giving Craig Kimbrell that money. He's good. Don't get me wrong. He's good. But he, he's shaky. He proved that in Boston. He's very, very shaky. Every single time he was on the mound during the postseason, I, I feel like Alex Cora had a mini heart attack. I mean, he went to Chris Sale to close out Game 5 of the World Series. That was probably just for more uh, picture, like uh, looking back at it sort of thing. Chris Sale on jumping into Christian Vasquez's arms as opposed to Kimbrell, who's probably, I guess the plan wasn't to bring him back next year. Um but Kimbrell, I don't see where he's going to go now. Like Tom said, Phillies have David Robertson. Kimbrell, I don't know who's interested in you. Red Sox say they're out. So unless he wants to take a one-year deal somewhere, he's going to be sitting on the couch for the next year, which does not help his case and his uh, athleticism at all. Trust me, I know. So uh, time will tell with Kimbrell. Harper set to make his decision at the end of the week. Machado fitting in nicely with San Diego. Uh, Troy Tulowitzki homering for the Yankees yesterday in his first at-bat. Hopefully he's better than Machado. Don't bank on it. Don't expect it. Probably not going to happen at all. But it's going to be fun to see. I'm looking forward to the 2019 season. So this was episode 50. 50 episodes of the Osho Podcast presented by FantasyJocks.com. Remember to go get all your fantasy gear and uh, trophies, plaques, whatever the hell you want over at FantasyJocks.com. Be a champ today. Uh, This was episode 50 with Tom McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Hit it, duty. For listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B L E A V on YouTube.